you need to take ownership of your career and not wait for a job, the perfect job with the perfect title and the perfect role to sort of just land in your lap or the, the job description to land in your lap and say, okay, there it is. That's my track forward. If you want to be able to get some experience and exposure without investing in a master's degree first, you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to take ownership and drive the car down the road. You want it to go down and stop and not wait for others or outside influences to give you the quote unquote permission to move forward. And welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. This is episode number 40. 40. Oh my gosh, 40. Um, and this podcast is all about helping you launch and level up your career in international education. And I'm with my co-host, Sam Cooper. How you doing, girl? I'm good. Hello, hello. Thanks hello. for having me. <laughs> well, you're always here now. I'm so always here. You're like, now you're the host. So uh, <laughs> I don't have to get you a drink anymore. You're just like here. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, um, yeah. Right. Um, the only reason I did these was for the drinks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't wait till we get to record these live and in person together in someday. Person. That'll be great. Mm. Yes. I get to come to London. Dibs. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it first. London like, live next time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for listening to that, everybody. So welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about hotly discussed and asked question when it comes to growing, launching your career in international ed. And we're going to be tackling the question of, should you go to grad school or get experience first? Sam and I both have very different experiences around this, but we also have very strong opinions <laughs> about this. So you're going to get a lot of great, I think, back and forth about like, well, you got to consider this and that. And so hopefully when you walk away from this episode, you'll feel more prepared to make this decision for yourself and the pros and cons of, of various directions that you can go. Before we jump into that, I want to make a big announcement. So I'm so excited for this. We, as you hopefully know, we launched the Global Pro Labs training series at the end of 2020. And we're rolling them out throughout the year. We've already done our marketing lab, which was great. And now in the first week of May, we're going to be delivering our education abroad advising lab. And Jason Kinnear is going to be our co-instructor on that program. Jason, if you don't know who he is, who are you? Where have you been? But Jason <laughs> Kinnear is kind of a little mini celebrity, I would say, in international ed. He's worked in education abroad for a very long time. He runs international programs at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So kind of a big deal. And he's going to be co-teaching that, that workshop and, and that lab for us at the first part of May. So if you're wanting to get in on the Global Pro Labs training series, you can enroll in that single lab or the whole bundle of all five labs. Just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash labs and you'll find all the details and how you can enroll there. But we're really excited to work with Jason on that. Uh, he's a good friend of mine and we're always like talking about how can we work together? How can we do something <laughs> together? And we found it. This is it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. He's also the nicest guy, just oh the nicest guy. So nice. Oh my gosh. He'll probably stay on for six hours just answering questions. Correct. At the end. That is so. correct. <laughs> it's going to be great. And Jason, if you're listening, he's also going to be coming on the podcast soon. So I don't think I told him that yet, but he's going to be coming <laughs> on the podcast uh, to talk a little bit about his career track and trajectory as well. Yeah. So great. Let's get into this episode, Sam. Let's talk about grad school first or experience 
first. What say you? Well, oh, wait, wait, before yeah. let's set the stage about our own experiences. Yeah, so what was your Perfect. grad school journey? Great. So I finished, I did a bachelor's degree in French and psychology, and I did not go directly to grad school. Um, and uh, because at the time, it, people weren't really doing that. It wasn't necessarily undergrad to grad. And so I didn't go to grad school until 12 years after I finished my undergrad. Mm -hmm. And my journey there was, I, I waited until I really knew what I wanted to study and spend my time doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also wanted it to help boost my career. So help me get those next level jobs. Mm -hmm. um, if I wanted to continue my career in international ed. Uh, so that's my very short version of, of how I got there. And, and next week's episode, you're going to get the full detailed <laughs> right. version because we I've interviewed Sam for the podcast now officially, and that'll be rolling out next week in next week's episode. So stay tuned for that. So you'll learn all about how she made that decision and where she went and all that stuff. So yeah, subscribe to the podcast. Shameless plug. Uh, so my trajectory is very different. So I studied, did my undergraduate degree. I studied international affairs and political science. And I, we don't have to go into all the reasons why, but like, I basically was like, I want to work in study abroad. Actually, I didn't know that my advisor, I was freaking out being like, I don't know what I want to do now after I'm graduating. I had no plan because my plan was to do government, like CIA, CIA, FBI type of stuff. And then I turned out, I didn't want to do that. And I was like, Oh, what did I do? She's like, well, you studied abroad three times and you kind of like our study abroad girl around campus. Why don't you work and study abroad? And I was like, what? You can do that? Like wiping away the tears. I just remember it was a very dramatic moment. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? She's like, to get a job like mine, you have to go to grad school. And I was like, okay, what does that, what, what does that mean? everybody also, you, I think you probably know my story, but I was a first generation college student. So I didn't have anybody guiding me even into undergrad, let alone anybody I knew who was like a grad school grad and had that ex life experience. I had more of those connections now having been away to college, but I didn't really understand like, what, what did that mean? And she was like, yeah, so you need to study this type of program and that's it. Go do that. And then you'll get a job in study abroad. That was sort of the guidance I got. And so I went to the campus library. I checked out the U.S. News and World Report college rankings guide. I turned to the page that listed higher education administration programs. That's because that's what she told me I need to study. And I applied to the top 10 programs listed there. That was it. I didn't know that. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And so I, I learned enough, like she helped me a little bit more. And, and I, by researching the process, I learned that, oh, in these programs, you typically have to be academically accepted. And then you also have to get a grad assistantship. Like it's kind of a twofer. You have to get both in order to fully be accepted. So I got academically accepted to every one of them, except Harvard whatever. I'm clearly not <laughs> exceptional. And, and then, um, uh, and then I had to get a grad assistantship at the, at the rest of them. And so I was just like, I knew I was going to be a director of study abroad at a university, at a division one university. That was the parameter, random parameter I put around my career. And yeah. And so then from there, it would just, it came down to who offered me a grad assistantship in international programs. And that's, that's where I wow. made that decision. I know my story was a lot longer. Do you want to share any more of your details? No, <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I guess I'll share. I did a master's in public administration and I focused on nonprofit management uh, because through having worked, uh, that is, that's what I just wanted to learn more about and spend mm -hmm. more time 
um, reading and writing about. Yeah. Uh, so, so my, my degree ended up being in higher education and student affairs. And I will yes. tell you right now, and my advisor in my grad program, who I'm still very close with and friends with, I like, I didn't know what I was doing that essay <laughs> you have to write for your application. Like, I think oh, yeah. I was just like probably Googling terminology around that stuff and just like pushing it in, it in. Right? <laughs> like this sounds like that makes sense there. I didn't know what student affairs was. I spent all my time off campus studying abroad. I had no exactly. idea what they were doing back on campus. <laughs> and so that's what the program was all about. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I went through the RA interview process and got an RA job, but decided to study abroad instead. This is why I graduated with $104,000 in student loan debt, by the way, <laughs> instead of taking like lucrative things that would have paid mm -hmm. for housing. I was just like, why don't we add on a little more debt? <laughs> Let's just be It's bad. funny money now. It's monopoly money at this point. Oh, so sad. It's sad and heartbreaking at the same time. Mm -hmm. I digress a lot there. So mine is in higher education and student affairs. And, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. No, like I didn't truly do a lot of research. I didn't do any informational interviews, finding out really what this was about. Um, so I was going in not blind, blind, but blind. I feel like I cataracts had really bad cataracts going in. Whereas I feel like you went in very clear. I know yeah. what I'm doing. I know what I'm wanting to learn from this experience, which I think will lend itself to maybe our tip number one around grad school versus experience first. Yeah. I don't think either of us are clearly, we're not anti-grad school. I have a grad degree. Yeah. You have a grad degree. We're not yeah. anti-grad school, but I and again, I don't really regret my experience, which I know is not that helpful either. But at the same time, like if I had truly understood what I was going into and I think I got lucky, like I just got lucky yeah. that it turned out great versus like, I think other people just go into it and it turns out to be really expensive for them or they're not really getting out of the experience what they had hoped from grad school. I think that the first thing you need to know about grad school is you can't go in blind. You need to truly yeah. understand the program you're going into. What are the outcomes of those types of programs in terms of what you're going to learn, the experience that you're going to get, the connections you're going to make, what are alumni doing now as a result of that program. Yeah. And yeah. that is like our first sort of recommendation around grad school. Don't do it like Brooke. <laughs> what would Brooke <laughs> do? Don't do it. Don't go in blind. You need to have a very clear understanding of that that program or those types of programs and how it fits into the larger ecosystem of international ed. That's absolutely. Yeah. Do your research. And, and I think the most important thing you can do just to get started is, um, is actually do something you did, Brooke, is talk to an advisor. Okay. So they, they pushed you in that direction and they did advise you. Um, but maybe talk to more than one person then, uh, but talk to people that have done the program, talk to people that haven't done master's degrees that have done them and how they've impacted their career. Uh, just do some of the, you know, the legwork to see it's a big commitment in time, not just money. So just go in with open eyes. And yes, there is a, there's always an aspect you won't know. You know, I did, I knew what I wanted. I went into my grad program with a pretty good idea, but there were things I didn't expect that I would get out of it. And there were, you know, public budgeting was a course that I didn't know that I would be taking as part of that. And it was not my favorite course, but I've learned a little bit more about how uh -huh. public um, entities budget themselves. Useless yeah. information for me right now, but, uh, you know, really? no, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that like is very tactical and practical that could I be wish valuable. 
Yes, and I got more from nonprofit budget management than public. That's just my own. Yeah. That that's just because every entity is very different. If I had learned what I wish I'd taken was a course on how universities budget and pay for things and yeah. university finances. That I, I did take that I, class. That's why I say that because I'm like oh, that was probably like exactly. make grad school worth it. That one class was like how do we make the sausages and pay for the sausages? Yeah. Like that's that's what that <laughs> class is all about. Because you're gonna learn some not pretty things about higher ed, but also like this is how the wheels turn. This is how we have jobs. Anyway. And I, I think that I think that stuff is really important. And so maybe mine was a bad example because I let's I did a you know public administration degree, so it's mm-hmm. really you know business degree for the the, the public sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, that's the stuff you want to know what you're getting into, what right. you, what it really entails. Yeah, and I think too keep in mind that my advisor doing this, and um, she's a lovely woman, and she was wonderful to even help me. It's not her job. She's the director of orientation, so I had been an orientation yeah. leader um, the summer before, and came back from studying abroad, and was like had done an internship in government, and was like I don't know, like no, this isn't for me. But I've been working towards this. I don't know what to do, and had that rough conversation with her, and she was the one that was like higher ed more student affairs, because that's what she had done. And she was like, well, if you want to work in a university period, this is the type of information you you need to know, which Mm -hmm. frankly, like looking back, that was probably, that was phenomenal advice. Cause I, frankly, I could have maybe gone to my study abroad advisor who I was not like close with, um, by any means, but maybe I could have probably should have said, Hey, can I do an informational interview with you to just talk a little bit about what you do and, um, how you got your job little point. 1.8, a whatever (laughs) tip there. Uh, But I think that it's, it accidentally served me very well in terms Mm. of, I'm so happy. That's the type of program I ended up doing that I didn't go strictly for international education. The only other type of grad grad degree that I feel like would have maybe been another area for me to explore would have maybe been an MBA. But I, at the time I didn't know, I was like an international affairs kid. I was like, I don't know. I'm not a business person, like whatever that means. (laughs) Um, So I didn't really even understand what that could look like, but I'm really happy that it, that it fell, fell that way. But again, it was dumb luck, you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's the big takeaway. Like, please don't just let the cards fall. And like, hopefully this grad program will work out. Don't fake it till you make it on your application. It just like, hopefully they won't see through my BS. And my, my, I was going to say before my advisor, uh, we talked about it before, because I did a a speaking engagement and presented, did a keynote thing for um, my grad program before BC before COVID. And uh, we were having beers after the fact. And I was like, did you know that I totally didn't know what the heck I was getting myself into <laughs> coming into this program? He's like, oh yeah, we knew. We, we yeah. talked about you. We're like, she's got great potential, but she has no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> That's like awesome. Fantastic. Great. Thanks for taking a, a risk. A yeah. yeah. So what's a, like Maybe. for you, like what would be the next best piece of advice? And besides, so our first advice, don't go in blind, truly understand the type of program you're going into and what the, the, the end goal is for you. What would be the next thing for you? I mean, my, my next thing is experience. So I, you know, I, it is, it is researched and known that employers value experience. Uh, usually more than the university you went to or the grades that you got. So, so bear that in mind. Those things count and have value. Uh, but I do think getting experience, and there's lots of different types of experience, mm-hmm. is 
should be a crucial and integral part of any decision-making in a career is you have to try it before you buy it. I think people don't say that enough. I'm very passionate about this. I think work-based learning should be a part of every level of education, including high school and university. I think people should be encouraged to get out and have experiential education as part of their degree. So if you haven't done that yet, then you got to get a little taste of what it is that you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's lots of different types of experience. It's on a spectrum, right? Yeah. So I would say, you know, the least you could do is do informational interviews and chat with people uh, that are already in the field. Um, that's a type of experience. If you do enough of those, you're, you're getting that. But you can also do shorter term experiences like internships um, or pitch yourself for projects. Or just start, start at the bottom. Yeah. (laughs) What about, you know, I know people that have started as receptionists in study abroad offices. These are valid ways of of gaining experience and getting Mm -hmm. kind of an inside look at at how Mm -hmm. something functions. Yeah. I would say as a quick and dirty rule when it comes to grad school, for the, and this is obviously in the container of you want to work in international education broadly. So obviously we're not talking about other career tracks. This is the career track we're focusing on, but I would say do not even apply to grad school or look at grad schools until you have some meaningful experience. We'll define what that means in a second in the higher education arena. (laughs) <laughs> using broad terms here, but I think that this is super important. A few years ago, it's been a few years now, but we really need to update this and do it again. But I did a survey of current employers in international ed. And one of the things I asked about was how much people valued having a master's degree. Uh, what are, uh, you know, we had other questions around other types of experiences or what was most important in terms of like the environment that people had experience in or types of organizations. And across all the questions, the big theme that came out of it, it was like, we don't really care if you have a master's, like that, that isn't as important to me. But what was more important was for entry level level roles, whether you wanted to work in a, a private organization or a university that people were like, just the university exposure is super important and not from a consumer of that experience from the administration, the delivery side. So the professional side. And, and so I think even if you can't get the job as the receptionist in the study abroad office or a program assistant that, you know, first entry point, there's nothing wrong also looking at advising roles outside of that department or receptionist roles outside of that department or any other part-time, full-time, project-based, maternity hire uh, cover type of roles where you can at least see how a university works. Because you have to understand the larger board. I always say that like study abroad is just if you think of higher education and meaningful travel or not meaningful travel, but higher ed as a monopoly board, study Mm -hmm. abroad is just like one, one little square on the monopoly board. And yes, if you land on it and you learn about it, you can be strategic around it. But if you don't know what the rest of the board is doing and and what's happening around that, you're never going to understand like how that impacts education abroad or the international programs or international students or international, all these other elements um, play a role and impact what's happening in the international programs division. And that's why I loved doing a higher ed program because I got to see the full board and um, as opposed to just one square on the board. 
And so I think if you're looking for that next level or looking for that exposure and that experience, think broadly about universities or within a, within a private organization that works with universities and maybe works with lots of universities. And um, so that you can get a broader understanding of like, oh, small liberal arts colleges function like this and big research one, division one universities function like this. And this is how, you know, Ivy leagues behave or whatever. Like you can start getting it like, oh, there's just, they're all their own little microcosms and cultures that is really important. And I think, you know, that was a big reason I took the role with you at USA versus a study abroad coordinator role at a, a big division one university, totally. because I was like, that would have been a great job. And I would have learned so much and it would have been a much more traditional track. But because I worked with you at USA, I got to see how almost a hundred universities of all stripes uh, worked and functioned yeah. and, and, and how they behaved around international programs, which was like, I couldn't have learned that in exactly. the two years at one institution. There's no way I would have gotten that deep dive of an experience. So to close this out and round this out, my advice would be get exposure to higher education in some yeah. capacity. That's where I would start my search. Absolutely. And I think if grad school is still on your path and you decide to do it further down the line, like I did, I was a much better grad student because I had experience, mm -hmm. uh, because I had real world examples to draw on when we were writing papers, talking about issues, problem solving. Uh, it just, it made the experience for me more well-rounded. Um, and I know that some of the students in the program that had just come from undergrad struggled a little bit more, you know, um, and I think there's programs that are good for early career professionals and, and that might be better suited to people that have been out in the field. But, but just bear that in mind. I do think experience can make your grad experience even more impactful um, because you have something to draw on. Um, and then you have that experience in grad school to reflect on it and then take it into the next step in your career. And, and we're not the only ones who think that getting some experience first is super important. I was just having a conversation with Chris Holloway, who's president of CIS Abroad, and we were just chatting and she, we were talking about careers and, and stuff around international programs. And she's like, oh, I always tell people, go work in the field a little bit before you make that decision about grad school, because you don't really know what you need to choose until you've, you've gotten that exposure and that experience. And I'm, I'm like, yes, preach, do it. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about what a meaningful, cause you, you broke them down a little bit, but let's talk about what sure. experience and exposure could be. So obviously there's the obvious one of like, get a job, <laughs> get a, <job>. a yeah. <laughs> full-time job working at a university or working with an organization that works with universities that I think it's clear. There's lots of job boards for that. It's a very traditional process, but yeah. outside of that, there are so many other ways that you can get experience and exposure. Talk a little bit about the informational interview side. Cause I thought that was interesting. That you said. Yeah. Do so, enough of those. No, I don't think people do. And I think it's a powerful tool. Um, and it might not give you experience that you can put on your resume, but what it does is it starts, it helps you start building your network and talking to real people that you can use to determine and explore what you like and what you don't like, what you might like and, and might not like. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's a really simple concept. You know, you find someone in the field that you're interested in. Um, so it could be a university or provider or et cetera. Um, and they don't have to be the CEO, right? They could be someone that's entry level that has just started. It could be someone mid-career and it can be higher along in the career. In fact, I recommend you 
you change it up with each person that you talk to. So you're getting a true idea and landscape of what that is. And you simply ask them to talk about themselves and people love to talk about themselves. Uh, so it's really just a matter of an email or a phone call. I'm interested in this field of work. I'd love to hear about your own career journey and hear about what it's really like to do your job. Um, and that's it. And they talk about themselves. Um, there's lots of resources online for informational interviews, um, but you don't, you're not asking for something other than just to listen and learn. Uh, and, and they don't always have to be about the field. You could have someone that you admire, give you feedback on your resume, um, give you feedback on an application. There's different reasons that you can reach out, um, equally for mentorship. Uh, but I think it's a powerful tool that people don't use enough. However, I will say that people in our field use it a lot. Um, I've been asked several times for informational interviews and I always say yes, because mm -hmm. I'm always happy to share my experience and help point people in the right direction. So that's just a great way to start exploring. Same thing with grad school, right? You can do the same thing, exploring that. Uh, so that's a good entry level point. You don't, um, and you can just explore, find people, connect with them on LinkedIn, send a simple email. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the next type of experience that people often don't think about or try for is just pitching themselves for project-based yeah. work. We go over this in detail inside of the Global Pro Institute. We have a whole module about this, lots of strategies and how to pitch yourself and what that looks like. But I think this is really, especially right now, as the field is either just trying to get our footing again, just as a ecosystem. <laughs> and then obviously organizations are still like, things are taking an uptick, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. And this is a really wonderful time, especially for those of you who maybe now find yourself out of work, maybe you were working in the field previously, is that project-based work can be a great entry point to giving you that taste of something new, gives you more experience, it supports an organization or an office in hopefully a really meaningful way, but also can be that like bridge maybe to crossing over to a new area of the field or just giving you enough insight into this world to know whether you want to go whole hog and go for the grad program and go all in on this. What we hate to ha see happen is you're like, I loved study abroad. It was great. It was the best thing I've ever done. And I want to work and study abroad. Now you go to grad school, you do all the work, you hustle, you grind, and then you get a study abroad advisor job. And you're like, wow, this is not nearly as fun or sexy as my study abroad program. And we could have told you that <laughs> up front. And that maybe like you're your affinity for the study abroad experience is really about participation as opposed to delivery and administration. And they're both mm -hmm. wonderful and valuable and we need great and smart, talented uh, professionals in our field. But just because you love study abroad does not mean you will love working in study abroad. And there's so many different roles in study abroad now that it's, yeah. you know, it's not just an advisor. There's lots of different things you can do. Um, mm -hmm. There's, there are special projects in study abroad. Um, there, well, I won't go through the landscape, but there, there's lots of different pieces that make it work. Finance, mm -hmm. HR, you know, every, every it's all run by um, different people and departments. And so it's also exploring that, where are you best placed? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I realized study abroad advising wasn't, it didn't light my fire. It wasn't where I could best use my talents, but I didn't know that until I did it. And so, mm -hmm. but I didn't leave the field. I just found better roles in the field that were yeah. better suited to my skills, what I liked, what I didn't like. Yeah. I mean, similar thing happened. You know, I, I went into grad school blind 
And I had a one track mind. I was going to be director of a study abroad office at a division one university. Like it was so specific. (laughs) And then I don't know, fast forward, I guess it was like three years later, I got Mm -hmm. that job. Technically it wasn't what I, I I needed to be more specific apparently, but no, I'm really (laughs) glad of what happened, but I like ended up running study abroad at university of South Dakota, which is a division one university. It's just tiny, tiny little bitty baby of a university, but I'm so glad I had that experience, but I learned very quickly that like, I love building things. I love building something from scratch, but like the day-to-day advising of students, like it just wasn't, it mm-hmm. wasn't, didn't light my fire and it wasn't fr- frankly the best use of my talents and gifts. And there's so many other people who are so much better exactly. at that experience that I'm like, I'm taking somebody's job right now is what I felt like. I was like, Ugh, <laughs> this is wasted on me. And the thing is, it's funny because I had been a grad assistant. It's not like, oh, I just had never done any advising before and just found out three years later. I had done, I've been a grad assistant in a study abroad office, had done advising, but honestly, even in grad school, I thought like, well, it'll be different when I'm a real employee. Like it'll be better when I'm like, not just quote unquote, the grad assistantship at a grad assistant. Yeah. And it turns out it was the same. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I still didn't love it. And I still was, still wasn't the best use of my talents, but you know, what I did love during grad school was program development. Yeah. It was marketing totally. operations. Um, and it turns out those, those were the things I was really good at and could do really well. And I used those later in my career, but I wasn't self-aware enough to, to parse that out early on. I just thought, oh, study abroad advising. One of the things I, I think we need to uh, mention is like, why are we even having this conversation? Yeah about grad school versus getting experience first. Um, Because I think this isn't, I think my story is one we hear a lot where people do the informational interviews and they're hearing from people go get a master's degree. And, And honestly, to add more context to that, it's often like, well, I'm not getting any offers. I'm not getting any interviews. What should I do? Well, you just need to go get a master's degree. And that's the advice we give new professionals or emerging professionals with this like mythical belief or false belief, if you will, that if you just get those letters behind your name, your career woes will be solved. Yeah. It's like magically, you're just going to get all the offers dropped in your lap. And we just know that is not the case. I have my own story and experience. I've, I've talked about it many times, but after grad school, I applied for over 75 jobs, didn't get one offer. It's embarrassing, but also real inside of the global pro Institute. We've had tons of people join who have master's degrees, who have PhDs or EDDs, terminal degrees, and they also struggle to land a job, even with the quote, with the perfect credentials behind their name. And so while it is a box that can be ticked, that could be helpful, it Mm -hmm. is not going to be your silver bullet to actually landing a a role in the field. There's just so many other variables to it that you can actually control. You can control like what your, how you stack your resume with different types of experiences. You can control control how you network and who you try to get connected to and advice from and mentorship from. You can control your brand and how you're contributing to the field without permission from any type of role or job. All these elements, you can control your application and what it looks like and what you're including on it and how you word it. All those things you actually can control. And then another thing you can control is whether or not you have a master's degree. And I always tell people, I was like, unless you've like topped out and controlled and like maxed out all those other variables, then I would think about grad school. That's just the way I think about it. 
I get to say that from a very, and I have to admit this, I'm very like quote unquote privileged in like my academic pursuits because I accidentally got a grad <laughs> degree, like <laughs> totally it. clueless. <laughs> and so now it's like, I get to go through life with a master's degree. And so life is so easy, but I think my experience shows that like, yes, all for all intents and purposes, I did everything right, but it was still super hard. Yeah. And I think other people have experienced that as well. Yeah. And I think there, there is the real hurdle that many jobs have where a master's degree is required, not just mm-hmm. preferred, but required. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they say preferred, but guess what? They actually mean required. That's a big pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the truth is that it, 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 for some people, it is a tick box and I get that. Um, it, but you should also want to do it. You should also want to spend that time studying and reading Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm. painfully writing papers and having deadlines. And I mean, it's painful. Can we talk about that? Oh, like, I mean, we could pain. have a whole other episode about like going through grad school and maximum, we'll definitely do that um, yeah. and elaborate on the actual grad school experience. I think too, you know, a component of this to keep in mind is that um, I don't know what your funding situation, but I, I'm, and I'm, once again, this is dumb luck, but I didn't pay a dime for grad school. And so I also just got lucky that I happened to be recommended programs where your grad assistantship, which was required, also paid for your, it was just how it worked. Um, And I also got, you know, was running a residence hall. So I had free housing plus a stipend. So I, I got lucky that I didn't fall forward into like a massive amount more debt because I already had a lot of debt from undergrad. And that's what I, my biggest fear is for people is that they go in blind and they're just like, okay, everybody said I should, and I don't want to name any programs, but the, you know, all these programs that have a pretty high price ticket to them. Um, and of course there are other programs that you can do just like I did. And if you know, that's your tracking you want to do, I say, go all in, like get into those programs. You don't have to pay anything, but I think people aren't making those like decisions. They're just flopping into something and being like, hopefully I land on my feet uh, and it works out. And I, I got lucky that it worked out, but it's like, dudes, I could also have broken both my legs. I don't know if that's a horrible analogy, but <laughs> we're going with it. I told you I'm punchy today. Okay. Grad school or broken legs. <laughs> I mean, it's either one. Yeah. It'll break your legs or it won't. It's t- yeah. those two options. Uh, I would definitely recommend if you can find uh, programs where you get assistantships and and they can help pay. Um, Mine um, didn't have it included. I did pay for mine. I did get a graduate assistantship that helped, but I didn't have housing. So my debt came from living, being an adult and having to feed myself and pay rent and Mm -hmm. and things like that, um, which is the expense. I mean, that that is part of the expense as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think employers at universities should be, and I think this does happen, maybe Brooke, you know more than, than, than I do, where if you don't have a master's degree, you're able to do one while, whilst working there. I think, I think that should be more encouraged because the expense is real and it is a big expense. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I'll ever pay off my, my student loans. They're there. I think about them. Uh, but that's, that's a real consideration. I think we, even as a, as a, a field should be talking more about is the expense we're asking people to put um, on themselves just to have a career um, in the field. 
I think to put this in like another kind of juxtaposition or comparison to outside of our industry. Yeah. So for instance, in like the, the finance consulting world, like not in international ed at all. I've had lots of friends who've gone into that arena. They don't ever go into it with an MBA ever. Yeah. And they often sort of do get to a point where they either become a, like in the finance world, this is what I've been told. They either be, basically become like a director level or VP level, or they like exit and go to get an MBA. And the whole reason they go to MBA is for networking, because once you have the MBA in their, in their field, that like catapults you to yeah. the next level income wise or uh, title wise, all the, all the things. And, but they often like, it's not free, like definitely not free. They go into massive amounts of debt for this, but in comparison to their earning potential, as a result of that investment, they're, they're going to be making multiple six, you know, exactly. figures as a result. Um, and obviously depending on where they live could be even more than that. And so taking on a $200,000 loan for your MBA is reasonable. If you're like, well, I'm going to be making half a million, right? These are not numbers you are going to hear in international ed, no, unless you own the company who owns the company. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, and so as a result, like, I, I mean, I don't have an NDA, but I don't want to like air other people's laundry, but like people aren't even earning that much, like at go abroad, if that puts it into context, like, it's I just, not, no, that's not, yeah. that's so, not the money in international ed. Yeah. yeah. And so then asking people, you know, to take on $50,000 in additional debt to get a job that's going to pay them maybe 40 grand a year. Maybe they get that job. Maybe they get that job. I just think that it's, exactly. it's lopsided. It's like, it's, it's a lot to ask people to do. I think it is. And, and frankly, I just think as educators and as, uh, we know higher education as a, as general, in general, we know access, diversity, access, inclusion, all of those elements, like financial access in those things is a huge element of this. And basically by telling people you have to go get a grad degree and go into more debt is asking people who are already privileged who have that luxury of taking on that level of debt or the wherewithal to understand what that's going to mean for their future. That's like either we're manipulate, you know, we're underserving people who don't understand what they're getting into, or we're only making it accessible to people who are like, oh, okay, I understand this investment and the taxing that's going to have on me financially moving forward. And, and I, we don't have this conversation a lot. I think it's, we talk about diversity inclusion and we we're all, but as professionals in our field, it's like, it's a kind of a privileged group that gets to come in here. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, I do wonder if it'll change as the conversation on higher ed in the US and really worldwide changes after the pandemic, I do wonder if these if these things will will flux and change, mm-hmm. um, especially the hit that our field has taken. So there's gonna be a big, um, I imagine, I hope, you know, there's gonna be a lot of people that will be hiring because there's gonna be a need because students have been waiting, people have been waiting to, to study yes. abroad. Um, and so I do wonder if that conversation will change around the degree inflation, you know, do you yeah. really need to have a master's degree to do an entry-level job in the field, or do you maybe need it for mid-level, senior-level positions? Right, right. Um, yeah. I think, too, I, I think it could go either way. I think it could either, you know, we could have these hard conversations and kind of come to terms as a field, like maybe this isn't necessary at this level. Um, yeah. We need to, we need to reconfigure how we do this or it can go like it did in 2008 2009 where everybody doesn't have a job so they all flock to higher education and just 
stack their credentials yeah. so they look like they were doing something, you know, yep. productive with that time, you know, as opposed to just like, I was just laid off and couldn't find a job. And, and I get the allure of that. I mean, frankly, I went to grad school cause I didn't want to, I needed a plan. I'm like classic millennial, like I need a plan. And so I just went for it with like, totally, you know, we've already established very blind. I think a lot of people do that in economic, we see that all the time, like, you know, education enrollment expands when the economy contracts that that's not unique to this time or in 2008, 2009, it happens in the eighties all the time. And so I think I, I'm, maybe I'm a pessimist, but I see it more leaning that way. I see people being more like, well, I'll just get it out of the way. Mm. And which yeah. is fine. If you, I, and I'm fine with those decisions, as long as they're decisions and not defaults. And again, it, then it comes down to like, okay, which program are you going to choose? Make sure you're strategic about that. And you're not just yeah. being like, well, it's online and I can do it in the evenings and that's it. Those are the only considerations. And maybe those are big considerations for you, but I feel like there's, we're, we'll do a whole other episode on choosing a grad program. Cause I think that is a, a good conversation to have, but coming back to this, this core conversation about grad school first or experience first? Um, and then what does experience actually look like? So we talked about like project-based work, pitching yourself for that, getting into the mojo of seeing where you could like help solve a problem or deliver on something that's uh, can be really powerful. But I think the next thing is like just doing an internship in, in our field. And yeah. I mean, this is a shameless plug, but also just a reality of what what it is on the ground and why GPI exists and what we do exists is because there is not a clear way to get an internship other than pure hustle. And you can do that. And if you've got that hustle, I commend you. And I say, go for it, rock it, get an internship. But in my experience working with, you know, 500 GPI members over the past five years, even with me guiding them through, you know, pitching themselves for project-based work, work and internships. It's really hard. People, our field isn't really great about understanding how to supervise interns and what does that really look like? And they okay. just see it as like yeah. more work. And so they're less likely to say yes, or they already have a grad assistant. So they're like, I have help and assistant, you know, all these things. We don't make it really easy or clear how to get internship exposure to, to our field. And that's, absolutely why GPI and the internship component yeah. exists because it doesn't exist anywhere else unless you go invest in a grad degree. And, um, I'm very passionate about this. I know I'm talking a lot, uh, <laughs> but it's like, this is my bit. Like if I die yeah. saying anything, it'll be like, don't get a grad degree, get an internship first, because I, I, I'm super passionate about this, this particular issue. Yeah. So getting an internship, I think is really valuable. Obviously we do that inside of GPI. If you want to learn more, just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash GPI. We're going to be opening up enrollment again at the end of April, if you're interested in that. But I think this is really important. This is why I love internships and project-based work because okay. they're, they give everybody an out, like there's a start okay. and stop. <laughs> and so whether you discover like, wow, I really don't like this type of work or this type of organization, or this, even this team I'm working with, there's a very clear ending and it's accepted by all. And there's no like weirdness of like, I think I'm done and I want out, you know, or, you know, or at the same time, it like can reinvigorate you and give you much more clarity about future decisions on whether you apply for more jobs, you choose a grad program, you're in more networked now you have more things on your resume to discuss all these things can come from this this container of experience uh, um, as as an intern I don't know I know I've talked a lot what are your thoughts about internships in international ed all the things well, I mean I obviously I I am quite passionate about them and and believe in them because it's this type of experience of 
trying out a field, it gives you a lot of benefits that other people won't have. And, and, and again, you can hustle for your own, you could do a grad program and they have one in them. But I think what's important, however you get it, what's important from them is you're getting a network. So you're networking with someone. Um, you are getting mentorship and supervision from someone in the field. You're able to work on a project and deliver it and have that on your resume and say, I did this. You're able to actually see how people communicate, how the businesses function. How do all these pieces fit together? You can't really see that unless you're in it you know, you're in the staff meetings, which might be on Zoom now, but you know, you're you're at the water cooler, as it were, and and really experiencing how all the pieces fit together, mm -hmm. um, and and so they really truly are invaluable, and and that's why I feel so passionate that everyone should you should get everyone should have experience, whether it's paid or unpaid, um, in order to get to get a taste of what it could look like. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to realize what you like and don't like, but also what you're good at and not good at. Mm -hmm. I think a really good internship experience is also not liking it and realizing this isn't for you. That's powerful. That saves you lots of time and money. Mm -hmm. um, and even better, maybe realizing, oh, I like this company, but maybe this isn't the role, or I like the role, but maybe this isn't the right fit of company. Mm -hmm. These are all powerful uh, decision-making Mm -hmm. experiences that you can have that can help kind of push and craft your career. Yeah. You can't do I, it without the experience. Yeah. And I think two things I want to mention about that is just to hammer home this concept of deliverables. Did you know, like, I'm always like the delivery, what are you actually <laughs> producing at the end? Yeah. Um, because, you know, when we do our coaching inside GPI, it's always, I'm always like, people are like, well, I don't know what to, you know, should I include this on my resume? Do I talk about in the cover letter? Like all these things. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What did you do? And why is that going to be valuable to the person looking at that thing? The hiring manager, for instance. So I'm always about like, what are your deliverables? Because you want to reverse engineer it. What do you want the resume to say about this internship experience? Do you want to say you, you managed and grew their social media following? Do you want to say you built out a program proposal application process for faculty? Do you want to say that you researched and created an emergency response system and recommendations? Did you want to say you did surveys and evaluations for the accreditation process that the university is going through. I mean, those are all very different internships uh, and different <laughs> deliverables at the end of them. And so when you unpack the type of things that you think you might want to do in international ed, you have to sort of start thinking like, well, what, what would fill in some of the gaps I have or my knowledge gaps? And how can I get exposure to that to then figure out what I'm going? And that's the kind of thing, I mean, again, I, I mean, I love our program because I think it's amazing, but that's what we help you figure out inside of GPI is where are your gaps? Where do you need to fill those gaps? How do you fill those gaps? And then how do we, can we place you in an internship that's going to help you start teasing those things out for yourself? Exactly. I, so I'm definitely on the side if we had to pick sides of experience first experience yeah. before grad school and continuous experience mm -hmm. I mean the the truth of the matter is careers aren't linear they never they they maybe they were at one point but they're definitely not now mm -hmm. um and it's it's learning from each experience to get you to the next one and it's but it's not a straight line right, right. we all have different s curves right so yeah yo well you, and you remember teasing teasing this out for our next week's episode is my interview with sam and if you want to hear about a very successful career 
but is not a straight line up and to the right either, then tune into next week's episodes to hear all about that. Because my, my career, you could argue is very similar. And so everyone thinks like, oh, but now you're here and it must've been so exactly. easy and no. you know, no friction. I'm like, oh, let me tell you about the friction. Was like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so we'll talk about that in next week's episode. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. So I feel like I, I'm also team experience. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are, I think the big sort of elephant question in the room is, yeah, but I still can't get any, I can't get a job. And that's, I think where being more intentional and strategic about gaining some meaningful experience in the field is valuable. So coming back to like the employer survey, um, that I talked about how people are, let's value the higher education exposure. So if you can do anything, whether, you know, and get creative, you know, whether you pitch the study abroad office at your alma mater, or you were involved in a campus organization or a sorority fraternity or a leadership programs and just say, reach out to the person who runs that now and be like, can I do a six week project internship with you? I'll do anything. Uh, I know you work on X, Y, Z types of stuff. I'd be happy to help um, get creative, show them how you can add value in that, in that experience. So you can sort of now like, logistically has something on your resume, but also get a little peek. And as Sam already mentioned, we talked about the networking and mentorship, all those things, but just start getting creative about getting something on your resume and some kind of exposure before you make that decision about grad school. Cause once again, it is not a silver bullet. It is not going to guarantee you a job after, after you finish. I think, I think we've covered this. What do you think? I feel good. I feel like we spread the wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think other ways you can get experience and exposure to the field. It's it might be slightly harder right now because I'm not exactly sure how they're doing it or if they're doing it at all. But when we get to the point where we're meeting again in person, you know, sometimes there can be some value in going to a regional conference of some kind or or a local meeting and getting involved locally in just a a professional organization. So I know Sam, she's uh, one of her many claims to fame is she was on the founding board or I'm not sure what it was, Yeah, but, but one of the founders of PDX Abroad, which is the Portland, Oregon Education Abroad or international programs, uh, professional organization. And they did lots of cool, fun things like find something like that in your local community, uh, and get involved and say, Hey, I'll host a zoom meeting. I'll host an in-person thing. Once we can do that, if it doesn't exist yet, create it, (laughs) be the person who creates it and convenes these people. That's even like a better tip. I would say. So for instance, here in Kansas city, I mean, I should probably be that person, but I'm going to, I'm going to pull the I'm too busy card, but <laughs> I don't know that there's like a, a, a people in, in Kansas city getting together. Cause there's yeah. several universities there here. Be. Yeah. Um, we should be having a quarterly coffee, happy hour thingy. I don't know. I, yeah. somebody in you Kansas should. city, if you're listening, organize make that. this happen. Make this happen. <laughs> I'm going to make it amazing, but I probably won't. Let's be honest. So somebody organize that for me. Thank you. But yeah. So if, if those, that's another entry point in terms of getting exposure, network yourself in, in getting involved at, on a local professional organization level. And so you can do it on a longer term basis as a longer commitment, but you can also think about it in the container of like, oh, I'm going to go to this three-day conference. I'm going to volunteer. Um, typically, especially in-person events, they're going to have a whole 
thing where you can apply to volunteer and get involved that way. Obviously the big national organizations at the in-person meetings, they've always had volunteer schemes. Those are great experiences. Those are great experiences to meet people. Yeah. Yeah. So volunteering, I know we say pitching yourself, but volunteering, you know, in the, before COVID, you know, a lot of people have study broad fairs. I know people can volunteer there. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of entry points into Mm -hmm. helping out. If international students, you know, there's lots of programs they run for international buddies and things like that. There's lots of ways to volunteer and get involved. Yeah. I think the final thing I will leave, I will leave with, and then Sam can have her final thoughts. But I think for me, one of the things um, I think that's kind of a theme over all of this is that you need to take ownership of your career and not wait for a job, the perfect job with the perfect title and the perfect role to sort of just land in your lap or the the job description to land in your lap and say, okay, there it is. That's my track forward. If you want to be able to get some experience and exposure without investing in a master's degree first, you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to take ownership and drive the car uh, down the road you want it to go down and stop and not wait for others or outside influences to give you the quote unquote permission to move forward. And the example I will give everybody is that, you know, even when I was in my career in the thick of it, I was running study abroad at the university of South Dakota on paper, you know, you could argue that like everything worked out, you know, I was in, I was in the room at the table, uh, sitting at the head of the table, if you will, in some capacities. And so you could say, Oh, I did it. I didn't, then catapult to uh, director of operations for global educators and then you know senior vice president to go abroad because of that job those things happened as a result of me on the side taking my career by the horns if you will and deciding that like I have these other interests. I have these other talents and I've worked on them on the side. I started Inside Study Abroad as a blog on Blogger and started teaching myself about online marketing and recruitment and all the, you know, searching and all these other things that were valuable to these other organizations. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know I was priming myself for those things, but I just leaned into my curiosities and my passions, if you will. And those, those are the things that I did outside of my traditional big kid jobs that actually catapulted me further in my career. And it actually ended up being a much better fit than even working at a university. And I didn't wait for somebody to say, Brooke, you're allowed to start a blog called Inside Study Abroad. You're allowed to talk about the professional world of international education. You're allowed to have ideas and opinions about how we fund study abroad programs. These are the things I was writing about at the time. Nobody was reading it, but I was writing about it. And I I think- <laughs> oh, thanks. And, and and I think that is one of the things that I'm very proud of in my career. I didn't even know it at the time, but I, I didn't stop and go, oh, you know, what if like that big name at that big university or the, you know, people who are leading education abroad at NAFSA, they read my blog and they're like, who does she think she is? And there may have been people who thought that, but I did it anyway. <laughs> and some of the things that I, we've asked you to do, pitching yourself for um, project-based work, asking for those informational interviews, some of that is you having to sort of say, I'm not waiting for someone to tell me it's okay Okay. to do this. If you need it, here it is. We are giving you permission to go do those things. So we're both very well connected. We have great titles and letters behind our name. And so if you need anybody's permission, you have it now. So go do the things that you need to do. Do Final thoughts, Sam? Yeah, I think, you know, my final thoughts are that 
I think people can get really caught up on titles. I've, I have done informational interviews with people that are maybe nervous about a role being below them in some way. I, that's not the right way, but I do understand you get a master's degree, you expect a certain level. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned in my career is that sometimes it pays to be humble and sometimes it pays to um, take a lateral move or a move down um, in the benefit of your future career. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not, you know, it's not sort of one straight line between A and B, yeah. um, but actually it, it's quite curly Q. And I would embrace that because I think that's where the learning comes. And something, Brooke, that you said that I think is really interesting about our field is that most people have made names for themselves in our field, not because of the jobs that they have, but because of what they've done on the side, Mm -hmm. the associations they've been a part of, the associations they've formed and created, um, workshops or their, their passion projects on the side, the issues within the field that they're passionate about and that they push forward. And so, and they didn't ask for permission. You know, these are, um, these are things that are, I do think our field encourages that you, that you have your interests and grow them. And so um, I think those would be my two big takeaways is that, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be a straight line, but also you have to look for, you have to know what your passions are. You have to know where um, the issues and, and, uh, and issues and sort of current um, issues in the field, sorry, for lack of a better word, you know, what people are talking about and how you can get involved or or what, what issue you want to push forward. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling like, if you're listening to this being like, Oh, I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what the issues are. I don't really know what I need to be doing um, Mm. in my career. We've created a guide. It's short, it's short and simple, but it outlines all of the elements that you need to be considering in addition to grad school and some tips on how to move forward in those specific areas. We talk about branding, networking, you know, getting experience, skills, knowledge, your applications, all those things, geeking out as we like to lovingly call it on international ed. (laughs) So if you want that guide and you just want a little roadmap to sort of what this could look like for you, just go to insightsteadyabroad.com slash roadmap and download that. And that'll be a good sort of it is intended to be a guide. So it's not sort of a guide. It is a guide to help you map out this, this track for yourself and start making tactical, educated decisions about your career. And that's all we care about. At the end of the day, yes, we're both team experience first, but if you move forward and you are making these considerations and you're putting some effort and you're following that roadmap that we've outlined, um, and it does, and, and the, the cards shake out to like grad school actually could be a really, yeah intentional, logical next step for you. Go for it, honey. Rock grad school, do amazing things in that program. We are all about it. We both enjoyed our grad school experiences. I think I did, uh, but, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there's always, you know, pros and cons to everything, but I overarchingly, like I'm really, I really enjoyed it. And you can get a lot out of that experience. We're not anti-grad school. We're no. pro tactical decisions about your yeah. career. And if grad school is included in that, then we're pro grad school. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay. Thank you everybody for listening. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Leave us a review over on iTunes. Let us know what you're thinking of the show. Sam's going to be here every single week with me. So great to be here. Uh, (laughs) um, And uh, we'll be bringing back interviews as well of other folks in the field who've, who've had some interesting career paths, a lot more stuff to come. We've got a whole slew of topics we're going to be chatting about moving forward. So please subscribe and stay tuned for that. And we will see you next week on the next episode. Bye. Bye everyone.